Hello, this is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's highlights, we are sharing with you a conversation we have with Mark Brody. Mark is a Columbia University professor who has innovated dramatically the world of golf. He created Strokes Gained, and it launched a real, real revolution in golf analytics. Mark is a terrific conversationalist. We've been privileged to have him on the show a number of times. We sat with him in person at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference on a relaxed Saturday afternoon. This is Shane Jensen and Cade Massey with our friend Mark Brody. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM coming to you from the Business Radio Studio at the Wharton School that's in Huntsman Hall. This is Cade Massey in today with Shane Gensonati Weiner. We are in the studio, but we're going to throw you back a couple weeks. We had a chance to talk to Mark Brody, Columbia University President Mark Brody. He is innovator golf analytics, and he's a great conversationalist. We sat down with him at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Show a couple of weeks ago. Shane and I had a comfortable 30-minute chat with him on the floor of the conference on a Saturday morning, and we thought Masters Week would be exactly the right place to share this conversation with you. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with Mark Brody. Happy this morning to have run across Mark Brody, longtime friend of the show. Mark's also somebody who, despite having talked to him on the phone, texted, guest lectured in his class, we've never actually physically met. The pandemic is a contributor to that, I'm sure, but we are delighted now to be sitting down in the flesh with Mark Brody. Mark is a professor in the business school at Columbia University. He is the creator of the strokes gained concept. What a claim to fame, a renovation in golf analytics of golf experience, golf fandom, golf coaching, and the beginning of a real revolution in golf analytics. Mark, pleasure to see you. Thanks for making time for us. Cade and Shane, thank you so much for having me. What's your take on where golf is now in terms of analytics and sophistication? How would you characterize golf in 2023? Well, I think there's a lot of connections between golf and these other major sports. And uh, after teaching a course in sports analytics at Columbia Business School, come to find out that strokes gained in golf is basically expected goals in soccer. It's expected points added in football. It's expected runs added in baseball. So it's the same kind of idea, performance relative to a benchmark, but with a different kind of application, methodology, estimation, procedure. But the idea is very much the same, and so that's sort of fun. And you see it at at conferences like this. The same questions that apply to the major sports are also applicable to the more minor sports, Formula One, golf, darts, (laughs) chess, poker, (laughs) It's a, it's a wonderful connection. That's fantastic, drawing that thread across those different sports. Do you th- is it fair to say that it's almost the foundation of analytics in each of those sports? And in that way, it is merely descriptive. And all the prescriptions are going to come later. They're going to build on that. But you, you, you pretty much have to do something descriptive when you first walk into a field. And expectations are one way of thinking about that, that fundamental task, that first task. Exactly. So the the baseline that you create is basically what defines average performance, and then you can measure the deviations from that. So that gives you a player is doing better at putting or worse at driving, 
similar in, similar in other sports. But that's, as you said, the descriptive part. The predictive part is then taking that data and seeing what is more predictive about the future. And it turns out that putting is not so predictive of the future, whereas driving and approach shots in golf are. So this kind of predictive analytics builds off of the sort of descriptive statistics to start. In building the models for what we can expect performance to be across different sports, I think one of the main kind of limitations to building really good expectations or, or, or kind of like, you know, coming up with, you know, the right kind of contextualization of expectations is data availability. And I think maybe golf is a little bit forward of a lot of other sports in terms of kind of the the availability of, of, of the data that you would use to make these expectations relative to a sport like hockey or, or, or maybe basketball. So can you talk about like how, you know, is, is that a, do you sort of see golf as still being kind of forward in the industry in that respect? And I guess if you were to have new data, well, what new data would you like to have to further refine what we think about as sort of like expected performance in a, in a round of golf? Yeah, I, I love, I love that question. And golf was really ahead of the curve uh back in 2004 and they planned this for a couple years before they started their shot tracking program called shot link so since 2004 we have a million shots per year of every player on every course at every event and this was before most other sports had had similar data and the availability of data allowed the advanced analytics to be developed but that's not why the data was created the data was created for the fan experience and i love it because that wasn't the original intent but once you have this database that you collected then people figure out other uses and other ways to monetize it you know betting being the primary example now but this wasn't the original vision this was before smartphones, and now you can watch on your smartphone the shots of players, and you can root for your favorite player. So it's hard on a golf broadcast. You see whoever they're, they're showing you, whereas on a phone or on a desktop app, you can now follow your favorite players, and it's, it's, it's just great for the, for the fans. And then where are we going? Well, I would love to see more data and analytics in golf broadcasts. I would love to see more... You see the trajectories, the you know the the red curve, so much better than seeing a white ball against a blue background. You can see how they're curving it. I would like to see the data on all these shots. It's just a question of cost. I would like to see the data on how the putts curve on the green and how the green contours affect the difficulty of putts. And the other thing that I think would be great, getting down into the weeds, something called three D biomechanical data where you, you actually now don't need sensors on the shoulders, arms, legs, and you could see how a player is swinging. So when a player hits a shot 50 yards to the right, the announcer, in, instead of just looking at it and see, oh, they, they bent their knee or their arms, you could actually have numerical values showing what did they do differently than their great drives. So one of the next kind of viewing innovations maybe we could expect or at least hope for is some kind of when a, as, 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 as a, a player is kind of getting lining up a putt, we've now got like kind of the, you know, kind of the optimal or what, what our model calculates as the expected trajectory given the contours, of the green. And if 
if we get good enough about that modeling enterprise, can we then kind of deconvolve a player that hit it in the right direction but just with the wrong speed versus somebody who, you know, actually had the right speed but, you know, it just was misaligned? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you have three skills in putting. One is green reading. The other is hitting your line, direction, and the other is hitting your speed or your velocity. Trying to decompose those two is a little bit hard because the green reading, you're not exactly sure what the intent is. And it's the same thing with approach shots. You have where the ball started, where it finished, and it would be great to also have the trajectory and the wind and all the others. But what you don't know is the intent and what's the target. And it's often the case, there is examples of this, where a player is 200 yards away, there's water on the left, and they're aiming 20 feet right of the pin. They pull it by mistake, and it ends up three feet away. The announcers are a great shot, but they really know <laughs> it's a good miss. They, they ended up 17 feet away from their target. Right. You just don't know what their target right. was exactly. Well, it also reminds me of some of these diabolical greens you find yourself on some pl- some places. In Scotland, for example, has a number of these. And if you happen to be at one of these fancy courses with a foot off where you wanted to, and it's like well, no, 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 it's a different a different thing here because Mark was saying the intention with a putt. You might think everyone's got the same intention, but some of these diabolical greens, you can literally putt it one of two ways. You can say you can take it way out here, real soft, or you can run it pretty hard in a firmer line, and they they'll give you an alternative, like two ways to play this green. And that's not what people usually think. And that's where sort of some math and dynamic programming comes in because you have multiple strategies. There are an infinite number of ways to sink a putt and to miss a putt. And the trade-off is one might have a higher chance of going in the hole, but the other, if you miss, might leave you a longer second putt. That's exactly (laughs) right. That's exactly right. Okay, so as we were sitting down, we were talking about some of our previous guests that you've listened to and been in, and, 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 and taken some interest in. And you mentioned Sam Schwartzstein working on the alternative broadcast for Thursday Night Football on Amazon. And you're saying, I've been trying to get the golf guys to do an alternative broadcast. So tell us more about, so you're talking about bringing some of these ideas in there. Tell us more about your thinking on that and tell us whether you think you're making any progress with those guys. Well, I think... Um Actually, if you listen to SiriusXM on the radio, they bring analytics into the broadcast much more than they do on TV. Because TV, you can kind of watch what's going on. And um, but I think the the radio programs they bring in strokes gained and what why a player is doing this or that. Somehow the audience is more sophisticated, or the the announcers are. But I think some of the time is wasted saying, this player is three out of five from bunkers this week. It's like, that's a small sample that's, that's meaningless. I think you could do better by talking about the difficulty of this particular shot, and there's ways that you can quantify that and then show it, show it on the screen. It's those kind of things that I think would be interesting for the fans. And it's like you said, variants are putting it into context that, that could be done more. Let's be realistic, though. Are there enough of us interested in that thing? So football, biggest following in America among, among sports. So even if it's a small percentage who are interested in the more analytic Sam Schwartzstein stuff, there's still a lot of them. Golf is a much smaller audience. So do, so how would we practically pull this off if there are fewer people like us who want to sit around and look at that kind well, of data? Well, first of all, I hope it's, it's an attraction for the younger audience. So I think it'll bring in more because the younger audience expects this kind of information. 
I think the older audience can get used to it, but could also, you could always do the parallel channel stream kind of thing where you have the more techy analytical kind of stream together with the the more traditional stream. So that that's possibly one way. Another way is you have this running ticker on the bottom or on the side that, that adds some information with if you're not interested, you can ignore it. If you are interested, it adds context and fun and excitement to what's going on. Yeah, and I think one kind of particular, just feeding off that, I think one particular type of excitement or context that would be very valuable is, you know, so many, you know, you know, even a casual fan can watch somebody hit like a fairway shot a few feet from the hole and everybody's going crazy around and they know that that was a really good outcome and, and, and great performance and, and given what they had. But, you know, some like like a bunker shot, you know, just you, you being able to quantify that, you know, it's only a 20% chance you even get onto the green from this bunker. The fact that this person got it onto the green you know, being able to kind of put a little bit more context and numbers on that, I think, will make some of these shots that those of us who play golf know aren't routine will make them seem even less routine to casual viewers. I've got a variation on that that I want to share. One of my fantasies for years has been that when they announce the players, this would be best in the NBA because people get announced individually, that they have an average size person on center court so that they we have a, some <laughs> reference for how unusual this person is and on occasion how not unusual the person is. So we don't have, we lack that reference. I, I just want to put one regular person in every Olympic event. Exactly. Okay, so here, so here's a not completely crazy variation for what we're talking about. I just saw a post from Dan Rappaport, the golf writer, commentator, and occasional friend of the show. I think it was Dan. So he said, people often ask me, what shot do pro golfers have that amateurs don't have? And he showed a clip of Spieth hitting out of a fairway bunker with a fairway wood to like 250 or something. Amazing. And, and Dan's answer was this. They don't have this shot. Okay, so here's an idea. What about you, you, you take even just one shot on a course per tournament, some place where we know a lot of pros are going to end up, whether it's off the box or whatever. And then, now let's take 100 amateurs. You can have a handicap range if you want to. Let's not, I'm not talking about rank duffers. I'm talking about like amateur golfers. And have them play out of that spot. And let's record digitally or whatever what happens so that we can compare the pros to what we as golfers might experience that would be fantastic and i think one of the allures of golf is that you can play on the same course that pros do very hard to imagine yourself playing in an nfl game against these these football players but you can play the same course you can hit the same shots and one of the things you can you can do and really see the difference you put amateurs on a 200 yard par three and you watch them hit 100 shots you'll see them all over the place versus the pros you put amateurs and you give them a hundred players hitting eight foot putts some of them will do quite well and you can really sort of viscerally understand by by seeing clips like that wow putting is not the biggest differentiator you thought it was these 200 yard shots or like you said 200 plus out of a bunker with the fairway wood Amateurs will fail 95% of the time, right. whereas putting, you have a chance. <laughs> okay, let's talk about putting. You've mentioned it twice now. How should we as watchers of golf, fans of golf, pull, pulling for various players as we do, how should we think about putting? Because I'm, I'm, in, I'm inclined to go all the way to the edge 
now and say it's more or less all chance. And when a guy gets on a run on you know on Sunday in Augusta or whatever and runs a, a bunch of 20-footers in or 30-footers in or even just a few of them in, we tend to say he's hot. He, you know, he's got a great read on these greens. And when he's playing, he probably feels that way. But statistically, is it the case that eh, it's pretty much just chance? And it may be the determining factor in who wins the tournament, but it's not predictive out of sample. It's just the way it broke that day. Is the extreme view wrong? It's, it, that extreme view is not, not wrong, and it's, I think it's close, close to accurate. And there's a, a couple of, of points to make. One is that you can think of strokes gained as showing that the best players are the best ball strikers, but the winners in the week that they win tend to be the best putters. So it's almost like you have this horse race. The leaders of the horse race going into the back nine on Sunday are the best ball strikers, and then the hot putter out of that group is the differentiating factor, who, who wins the tournament. That's certainly a little bit of an oversimplification, but if you take a look at the variability in putting, it's much bigger than the variability in driving. Roy McIlroy can hit it 20 yards further than an average pro every week. That skill doesn't come and go. Putting definitely comes and goes, and you can have hot putting rounds and not, and so that's why putting is less predictive and many golf bettors when they they take a look at predicting what's going to happen in this tournament they subtract out putting to an extent because it is, it is less predictive and they go on more um, predictable ball striking kind of stats very helpful very helpful it's so sobering but clarifying <laughs> so appreciate that Mark, we're going to have to let you go, but one last question for you. What are you thinking about in the world of golf, or what questions do you think are interesting? What question do you think is really interesting right now in the world of golf? So something I worked on uh, the the last couple years was a modification of the official world golf rankings. Mm -hmm. And so wrote a paper with a colleague, Dick Rendleman, in 2013, where unlike showing drive for show, putt for dough is uh, incorrect, when we published something saying the official world golf rankings were biased, everybody said, yeah, we knew that. It was just some academics that sort of quantified it and made it a little bit more rigorous in the analysis. But then nothing happened. Um, working a lot with the official world golf rankings board, again, I have no connection, but I'm an academic doing this. Um, I came up with a modified algorithm, which was announced uh, August of 21, and it went into effect August of 22. Um, and so that was both rewarding and challenging because we expected the reception would be, you know, kind of half positive and half negative because when you change the rankings, there's winners and losers. It seemed like the reaction was kind of 90% negative, but uh, uh, we have now an unbiased, provably better ranking algorithm in, in if it's place. it's unbiased and provably better, why would it be 90% negative? What happened? So everybody takes a look at their circumstance and their event and says, well, compared to last year, <laughs> we're getting fewer points. And when when people look at that, it's it's very easy to be misled because it's all relative. And it's true. Most of the points, except for the majors, did get reduced. So if you just take a look at last year versus this year, 
it has the feeling that everybody is getting hurt by this, but you can't in a ranking where it's a zero-sum game have 90% of the people getting getting hurt. But it is it is more fair. There's part of a slow changeover that'll take a while to, to come in, and it's, it's worked out pretty well in the last few weeks. Every single week, it seems like the top three players have a chance to return to number one. Well, that's just the John Rahm effect. You got there the, you you, go. the big John Rahm into your your rankings in 22, 23, and you're going you're gonna to do pretty well. But, but more seriously... What did you take as your objective function here? Let's talk about what went into building this thing. Like, what what is it supposed to capture? Yeah, so that's one of the things I think is not very well understood or appreciated about rankings, which is what's the goal? And chess, with its ELO rating system, has a different goal, which is predictive. Golf and most every other sport doesn't want a predictive system. They want something to rewards performance, and those are different. And you hear this like in the college uh, playoff, you know, who's going who's gonna to make, make this? Is it who's the most deserving or who's the best? The best is yeah. like predictive. Who's the most deserving is like who, who Just played. retrospective kind of what actually happened. Right. Yeah. In, in golf, reward for performance means we're going to count a win a ton more than second place because winning matters Second, third, fourth, does matter, but much, much less. Uh, is there a golfer that, any name that you remember that kind of bubbled up a little bit more as a result of the change? Not, not off the top of my head, but what I'd say is it makes very little difference in the top ten. Okay. So less than one ranking position. Where it mattered is the majors tend to invite, but they all do now, the top 50 in the rankings and it would matter about three positions, three wow. players, wow. around 47, 48, 49, three players in, three players out. To those players, yeah. it matters. Yeah. Remarkable. To, to us. So yeah. it's really important for the players. Yes, if you're number one, yeah, you care about that. But if you're 47th versus 53rd, wow, that can make a big difference to your career. Okay. Neat. Fantastic. All right, Mark, thank you for taking time to be with us today. It's a pleasure to get a chance to have a relaxed conversation about this world that you've carved, this golf analytics world, and it's a pleasure to meet you in person. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Shane. It's been uh, fun to be on here as usual, and you do a great job with, uh, with your show, and I, I tell all my students to listen to it. <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. We'll tell all our students to take your class down at Columbia. Mark Brady, professor at the Columbia Business School, inventor of strokes gained that has been another wharton moneyball thank you guys for listening come back and join us next time between now and then enjoy your sports <laughs>